You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and I'm still on cloud nine from last weekend's wedding. My son, Exhibit A, married Star, his bride, his girlfriend of many years, and it was just lovely. It was happy. There were some surprises. Namely, I didn't realize I was supposed to dance into the ballroom with my former husband. I don't know what that looked like, and I'm grateful that there was no film. But I have to tell you, that's minor compared to how joyous it was and how happy my son was. I mean, if you ever see your child in that moment of bliss, man, it it sustains you. And I believe clinging to that joy is good for our health. You know, usually after a big event that you've been planning or help planning, there's a whole bunch of, oh, if only I'd, or we should have, or I wish I'd said this. But I don't have it. I don't have any of those grievances or, or doubts or worries. I just had a beautiful time, and I think my children did too, and I'm just very happy about it. Okay, but in case your kid did not get married last week, there's still a whole lot of gratitude to catch up on. Meanwhile, I'm pleased to tell you about this week's guest. She is writer and editor Nino Lorez Collins, who in her spare time, and she has four children, so spare time, four children, think about that. She founded the online and now real community called Wolfers, as in Virginia Wolf. Dealing with aging without apology, as she terms it, Nina has written a book called What Would Virginia Wolf Do? that is published by Grand Central Books. She has also just released a volume of her late mother's writings entitled Notes from a Black Woman's Diary, published by Echo to huge acclaim. I'm looking forward to hearing her five things shortly. But First, my five items that made my life this week, and maybe they will inspire you. Number one, I am heartened and excited by the large number of women who have so far declared that they are running for president. I think the numbers could go up even. Who knows? The season is young. Given that women those most emotional of creatures, have already been elected to lead such complicated countries as Germany and the UK and Ireland and Israel and India, Argentina, the Philippines, Norway, Pakistan, Switzerland, Finland, Peru, Macedonia, Thailand, Poland, Austria, and some I don't know how to spell. You'd think you could trust a female elected in the United States. We shall see. A woman needs to prove she has the background and skills to do the job, but she cannot be ruled out because she is a woman, nor should she be elected just because she's a woman. Let's make that clear. Yet I think she couldn't do worse than some other people who've been elected, if you catch my drift. Number two, I am very grateful to my, I'm going to put in quotes, my stepdaughter, Izzy who is my partner's daughter and who has been such a professional arranger and doer since she's become a professional arranger and doer. (laughs) She works in production. She was a theater tech 
major at Northwestern, and she has taken all that she knows about designing and specs and sound and light, and she is applying that to fashion shows and to public events, and she also applied that to helping me decorate for the wedding and rehearsal dinner, and she worked her butt off with me, and we also had a lot of fun. So I am grateful for her, and I hope she listens to this podcast, because it doesn't count if her father says, Izzy, listen to what Lisa said about you. Note to Mr. Control. Uh, Number three, I have always enjoyed arranging flowers myself. Not to the point where, oh, I'd like to open a flower store and be that person because I'm not that good and I don't know enough about flowers. But for the rehearsal dinner, I thought, you know, it'd be really quite fun to make the seven centerpieces myself. So my boyfriend and I went to the flower district early Friday morning, went in the rain from place to place, looking particularly for ranunculus, but not only. And usually when you go there, these are the places that open at four in the morning and do big business with hotels and with flower shops and with giant corporate clients. And they usually just give you the prices and send you to a line to pay. Generally not helpful. However, Michael at Fleurimets USA was wonderful, gave me good advice on vases, helped me arrange kind of a bouquet that was unusual, that had depth and dimension, but also you could see everything closely. It wasn't as if it was just a bunch of something. And he was really, really nice. And I have to say, I enjoyed the whole afternoon of cutting flowers and putting them together. And we still have a couple of flowers left. And I have, because I'm a giver, I have posted some pictures of my arrangements on the blog at lisabernbach.com. You're welcome. Number four, you know in December that we lost our beloved dog, Henry, but I commissioned a portrait of Henry, which finally arrived. It's Henry in spirit. Obviously, it's not a photograph of Henry. It's an interpretive painting. His name, Henry, is painted on top, lest we forget who this is. And it's kind of in a homespun frame and style. It doesn't look like anything fancy that you would find in a great home in England. It looks like something you might find at a tag sale. (laughs) But I like it. And he's going to join other beloved figures on the wall, I'm hoping, this weekend. And number five, well... This is a surprise. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. And now I'm happy to talk to Nina Lorez Collins, who I've been so excited to meet. I've been excited to meet her because I am a late-to-the-party fan of What Would Virginia Woolf Do? Her website and her book. Um, it started as a kind of private, insidey thing on Facebook. And and. People who listen to the show regularly know I have very mixed feelings about Facebook, as I imagine you do as well. But also Nina is much more, and she's a mother of four, and she looks good. Her hair is combed. I don't know how how she does it all. She 
also has recently edited um, her mother's writings in two, I think, posthumous collections. And and we have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. It's so fun to meet you. I you know I remember your book when I was in like I don't know middle school, seventh grade, seventh grade, fourth exactly. grade. I know, I know. I'm just here to help. And, and we have a million friends in common. We it do. Turns out. We do have a yeah. million friends in common, and it's nice of all the younger middle aged women to tolerate an older middle aged woman. But I I kid because you have sort of made middle age, which is a term I loathe, um, into it's something. It's better than menopausal. <laughs> it's better than menopausal. Once once I thought I should just have a radio show called I'm Old. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it all comes down to when you're young, you don't think about age at all. And then you hit certain milestones and that's all you think about. Yep. When did that happen to you? Well, I started the group, so, um, I mean, I started feeling old, you know, old-ish in my early to mid-40s. I mean, I I started the group when I was 46 because suddenly I wasn't sleeping, and I'd always been, like, a great, great sleeper, and so suddenly, like, a little bit after my 46th birthday, you know, my periods had been spotty, my kids were leaving the house, I was starting to be an empty nester, um, but the, suddenly I was, like, waking up at 4 a.m. every night, like clockwork, and it really freaked me out, and I didn't know what it was, and I Googled it, and, you know, up came 33 symptoms of perimenopause, which I'd barely ever heard about, and I started looking at the list, and I was like, oh, yeah, I have that and that, and so it turned out the insomnia is like a textbook, you know, perimenopausal thing, which I didn't realize, and I suddenly, you know, it, it became clear that I was starting to go through this this process that soon my periods would stop. And I started doing a little research. And basically, I just wanted to, I had been, I am now very conflicted about Facebook because it's taken over my life. But at the time, three years ago, I really enjoyed Facebook. It was the only social media I did. And I found, I like, I felt like I was kind of good at Facebook. I had like a really fun time on Facebook. So I, um, I posted and said something like, did you know that um, impending sense of doom is an actually documented <laughs> symptom of perimenopause? I That's just one of this, the 33. It's one of the 33 symptoms. And I thought that was hilarious. And then all my girlfriends on Facebook kind of chimed in and we all had a giggle. And And then I thought it would be nice to be able to talk about kind of the indignity of aging, but I don't really want to do it on my main page where men and some children are. And so a few weeks later, um, I was in a hotel room in Minneapolis at a hockey tournament for my son and I was feeling old my I had some daughters with me two of my daughters who were kind of ignoring me and um I just created this group and I called it what would Virginia Woolf do in a kind of dark joke I mean had I known the group would become what it has become I probably would have called it something else because it's long and confusing although it still makes me laugh um, it makes me laugh because I always think of Jesus <laughs> Wait, why do what you would Jesus, Jesus do? Oh. Because that's I've seen it on on so many backs of cars. Yeah, true. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's you know we called it that because at the time I was in graduate school and I was um, reading a lot of Virginia Woolf and I love her and of course in college I read a room you know Room of One's Own and um, but you know the joke is that she killed herself in her fifties. So yes, it's she like, did. Should I just kill myself with the joke? <laughs> right. And all my friends are kind of feminists and funny, and we all thought this was hilarious and literary. And also from the beginning, the group was meant to be a place where we would also talk about books and cult. It kind of evolved into this secret back room for smart my smart girlfriends. What's so interesting to me about it, as I said, I didn't look at it much when I first was 
added probably. added to it. But um, the high low of it is so interesting, and I know some people don't like that about it. I adore that about it. I adore that smart, interesting, literary, educated women are as interested in saying in a group, Psst, I need a good moisturizer that's under $65, as they are by uh, saying, Psst, I think my husband's having an affair. Psst, I think I want to have an affair or whatever is in between. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we we really do talk about things like, I know someone made fun of me the other day. Someone wrote to me and said there was a, an insipid thread about white, you know, white pants in winter. And then there'll be a conversation about books. And you know, we talk about we talk about everything. And, you know, we don't always I mean, I also there are five of us who approve the posts. We don't always agree. You know, there are things that come in there that we don't love. Obviously, the group has gotten very big. You know, it started, it was like 40 women. Now it's like 26,000 women. Wow. So it's changed. It's not exactly, you know, it's not what it was in the early days. It's, you know, it's evolved. And it's a business. Well, it's kind of. We're trying to turn it. I mean, basically, it wasn't ever intended to be a business. And then as it grew and grew and became, there were kind of all these pieces of it that have just grown organically. Basically, we started creating regional subgroups because in the beginning, when it was small, you could post and be like, I'm going to be in Paris next week. What should I do? Mm -hmm. But now the group is too big for that. So we created a travel group. And you know, there were women who wanted to talk about exercise. and it, The things that we could do in the group when it was small started to bog it down so we created like a food and exercise group and there's a money matters group and but there are also regional groups so it's it's just grown and then we started having events because women wanted to get together in real life and then I wrote a book right. and then the website for the book turned into a content website so now we have a website called the wolfer.com um so yes I guess it, it is a I think you have business. merch we do. We have a tote bag. Actually, I have my. I brought my tote bag here. To you. I carry my tote bag all the time because I love it. We have a little bagu tote bag. So yes, I. You know, I hesitate when you say it's a business because it still doesn't really feel. Um, it still feels very much like a hobby that I'm trying to now turn into a business, and, and it's unclear where it's going to go. <laughs> but it's very demanding. I mean, so the thing is, I really do now. I for years, you know, three years now, I pretty much spend all my time on it. So that was my next question. Yeah, it feels. Yeah like something that once you start, you have to sort of manage. And with 26,000 women, that would mean 25,000 different opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And you know, there's a great group of women who run it with me who I adore. And so I feel obligated to them. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm fielding nonstop. Like, I could just be on my phone all the time. And it's also really interesting. So I'm kind of managing trying to think about how to turn it into a business, trying to still spend time enjoying it. It's 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 a lot. It's confusing and it's a lot. But I can't I can't see how I would walk away from it because the women really they're I mean, I get messages all day long from people who tell me how much it's changed their lives and made them feel normal. And it's really done a lot for all of us, me included. So no, I think I think the idea of community, look, there. The irony to me of what has happened in the last 20 years is that we all carry around a gadget to connect to other people, and yet we're not connected at all. And the candor and the openness and the honesty yeah. that people um, are willing to – not willing, that they need to yeah, use the need. to express – 
on your page is something that that it feels like a safe place. Yeah, no, the connection really is kind of extraordinary. you know, because people talk about social media being so bad, and I get that. Like, I do hate that I'm on my phone as much as I am, but I've been really surprised by the amount of friendships and real connection and real solace and incredible resource. And, like, there's a thread going on in the group right now that has us all, like, on the floor laughing for the last 24 hours, and that's been – it's so nice. Yes, you know, it yes. really is – it's amazing. Now, how do you spend the rest of your time since that's full time? <laughs> well, I have four kids and um, they're, you know, grown-ish. They're 18, 20, 20, and 25. Um, so I spend time kind of caring for them and watching them grow. Um, I have this whole kind of side career with, as you mentioned, my mother. So my mother um, was a black filmmaker and writer, a woman named Kathleen Collins, and she died in 1988 of breast cancer um, a few weeks after my 19th birthday. And um, she was really relatively unknown in her lifetime. She was kind of known a little bit as a playwright, and she was kind of in black intellectual circles. People knew her. She had made two films that were not released that were kind of artsy and intellectual. And um, about, I've like lost track of time now, but probably six years ago, I remastered her feature film, a film called Losing Ground. And I did it... Um, because the the original film was disintegrating at a lab in Midtown, and uh, you know it was the it was one one of the first feature films made by a black woman in America, and I knew it was a really good movie, even though no one had really seen it. And so I I mostly did it kind of for our family and for her to preserve it, and um, found a distributor, and it ended up being released. And um, the New Yorker called her a genius. It ended up being this incredible thing. She got all this press and. So then after that, I, um, because I come from book publishing, it's my background, I, once Losing Ground was successful, I thought maybe I can publish some of her written work, which earlier I would have thought no one's going to care about a bunch of literary stories by a dead black woman, but because of the, the film success. So I ended up publishing a book of stories that she wrote in the early 70s, late 60s called Whatever Happened to Interracial Love. And then that did really well and got incredible review attention and so now just this February, I've edited a second collection, which is called Notes from a Black Woman's Diary, and it's um, selected works. It's a couple screenplays, a couple plays, um, a, a, an excerpt from an unfinished novel, some letters, diary entries. It's a lovely book. And now I think I'm done. I think I'm done with the revival of her work, but it's been amazing. But also how how remarkable to have that legacy. Yeah. And how wonderful to give that to her. I know. it's It's been amazing. It's actually really hard to, to kind of understand how I feel about it. It's been really... Like the New York... I mean, the New Yorker just has been... She's gotten incredible attention, and I can't imagine how she'd feel about it. And it's very poignant, and it makes I don't know. And and then I'm working. So the other thing I'm doing, which I go in and out of, but I'm back to doing right now, is I've been working for like ten years on a memoir, a, a very different book from the Virginia Woolf book, a more ambitious personal memoir that's kind of about my mother and my childhood and my own life. And I hope I finish that one day. So this whole process of bringing her work back into the world and um, figuring out my relationship to her has been a big... I mean, her death was really a defining, you know, the defining, you know, moment in my life, so... Mm-hmm. Are you an only child? No, I have a younger brother. Uh-huh. He's um, 
three years younger, and he's lovely, and he lives in Brooklyn, is married, and has a couple kids, and he's a marketing executive guy in sports. And um, and I took care of him when my mom died, so I became his guardian, and so... Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. The whole the whole concept of memoir is something I I I try to I think about a lot because people tell me I should write one. I have no desire to really do that. Well, do you write much in the first person? I don't remember. Um do I? I do on the blog. Mm-hmm. It's the, it, This is the most personal stuff I do, actually. I have written two essays that one was published, one will be published in anthologies. Mm-hmm. But I basically don't feel my own life is very interesting to other people. Well, I'm sure your life is interesting, but what you say, I mean, it's it's kind of mortifying to write a memoir in that way because really who cares and you do feel like it's just extreme navel gazing and there was a very harsh article in the times in the last 10 days by alexandra fuller i don't know if you read it was, it was that the one about danny shapiro she was and, criticizing a yeah, slew of female of, memoirs right. in a really harsh way and you know I hear her point. I mean, I get it. It's hard. I mean, the reason I'm writing this story, I never, ever thought I was a writer. I was raised by my mother was really, really talented. And then I worked in book publishing and I was a scout and I was an agent. So I was representing writers. And until I was like 38, I never thought I would write anything. And then um, I went through a very difficult divorce and a real depression. And I basically felt like I needed to kind of look at my childhood and my life to kind of help myself. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I got interested in writing. And I ended up doing a master's degree in something called narrative medicine at Columbia, which is kind of, um, it's it's kind of the study of, of illness and the body and death and how we share our stories in that context. But it's very much about written, the healing power of written, of the written word. And and in some ways, that informs Virginia Woolf also, right? My idea in Virginia Woolf is like, be honest, share your story, be vulnerable. It, it will help you move forward in a good way. I think I think the the thing that does appeal to me is helping people through telling true yeah. stories. Yeah. And that part, I understand. There yeah. are people who have written you know, three, four, five memoirs who aren't even 60. And I want, but they sell them. I know, Danny Shapiro, I know, it's amazing. Or Alexandra Fuller. I mean, a lot of these people. A lot of these people do. And and I guess, you know, it is a very legitimate way of marking your life and marking time. And obviously they have their fans. And Yeah, if people, I mean, Danny's new book is really great. I loved it. I thought it was terrific. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, actually, I'm eager to read it. It's I've good. Read, I've read a lot of her books. Yeah, yeah. And I feel I know her much better than she knows me because I've never written about myself. Well, that's true. I, have to say, I meet people all the time, and they're like, they, they feel like they know me really well because yeah. I share so much of my life in the yes. Facebook group and in the website. And I am comfortable. I mean, I, I guess I don't know what to say about it. I feel like it's... Um, I know that the tone that I've set in the Facebook group has given a lot of women freedom and it has made them feel normal and less ashamed and that's great and so I think if sharing your story does that that's a good thing I do too I agree with you so on that note let's talk about the five things that made your life 
better. Okay, I had recently. To, I forgot to prepare, so I had to for this podcast. You had to cram. So I had to quickly <laughs> think about this, but it actually wasn't that hard. So last night we had a what we called a mod dinner. So the moderators of the the group um, all came over to my house for dinner and. These are women I've gotten to know. A couple of them I knew before I created the group, but really I've gotten to know them because they were passionate wolfers who ended Uh up becoming moderators, and they're really funny and smart and fabulous. Some of ours are in L.A., so this was just the New York mods. But the mods have made my life immeasurably better, and um, their friendships that I – I was laughing so hard last night, I can't remember the last time I laughed like that. So, um, And they're inspiring and beautiful. And So, the mods. The mods. The second thing is fishnets. I'm wearing right now a pair of fishnet stockings, which I don't think I've done since I was like 16. They are some bitchin' fishnets, too. They're really cute, right? Yeah, they are really cute because I have to tell everybody they're large fishnets. They're not your typical... Yeah. The square is like almost an inch or three quarters of an inch. Exactly. And... I don't know why I just, I guess it's because it's Valentine's Day and I was trying to figure out, I have kind of a relatively new boyfriend and I was trying to figure out how to like get in the mood for Valentine's Day, which I'm pretty cynical about. Um, So anyway, I bought these yesterday. I'm wearing them today and they make me feel a little bit like I'm 16 in a good way. In a good way. And And I love them with your fringed, I I just hit my head on the microphone. I'm look. I'm I'm staring so hard. Your fringed boots. (laughs) If they're not on your list, they'll be on my list next week. Okay. These are a couple years old. These are from number six like a few years ago and they're not the kind of thing you want to wear all the time but lately I've been liking them thank you but they're not on my list list. okay Okay. so the mods fishnets then I discovered this amazing museum last week my boyfriend took me to this museum called we were driving up to Boston to visit my kids and he said let's stop for lunch in Hartford and I've done done this drive a million times never stopped in Hartford the Wadsworth Athenaeum uh huh do you know it yes it was amazing this museum it's i can't a beautiful building it's too it's this beautiful building i think it's like 150 years old and it's been there forever and they have kind of something from every i mean every great art the the collection was amazing beautiful so that is definitely one of my favorite things at the moment i can't wait to go back um Lemon squares. So one of the mods, Diana Kane English, made lemon squares last night. And she made them because it was a joke from the group. We had this really funny thread, which I actually can't even recount about lemon squares in the group. We don't talk about food that much. But anyway, they were super delicious. And I ate like five of them. And I've been on Weight Watchers and (laughs) totally broke my diet. Oh, no. But I really liked them. And then my last thing is there's this lotion called Skin Trip. Do you know this lotion? No. Writing it down right now. It's so good. It's from the health food store. You can only get it at health food stores. And it's this coconut skin lotion called Skin Trip. And it's in in this cute, it's like a white bottle because I guess it's just see-through. It's, the lotion is white. And then it's got like red, I mean, white, uh, black type on it. It's a very simple bottle. And my mother always used to use it, but I don't buy it really for nostalgic reasons. It's really great lotion. And I hadn't had it for a long time and I just bought it again. And it's kind of like light. And you know, in February when your skin is so disgusting, yes, I've reached that. I don't usually complain about the weather, but by mid-February, I'm a little unhappy and um, my skin is so dry. So I've been using Skin Trip and I'm feeling better. So those are the five things that those, are making me that, happy that's at the moment. That's a perfect list. Now, I, I have to ask you one thing, though. Sure. You mentioned number six. Yeah. Okay. Where those... Oh, the Brooklyn Where The rad boots are from. Now, my whole... I wear clogs all the time. Me too. Uh, I wear 
clogs with a back because I used to fall out of my clogs. <laughs> <laughs> Mine have training wheels. So all my life, I've not all my life, for the last three or four years, I wanted shearling line clogs because I thought they'll keep my feet warm. Then I read the article in the New York Times that every Brooklyn mom has the shearling clogs from number six. It's really true. It's actually Ugh. crazy how many women have these. And I, I have two pair, uh-huh. a black pair from like five years ago and a beautiful gray pair from last summer or last year. Um, they're inc- insanely comfortable. They're expensive. They are expensive. And they're really great looking, though. You feel kind of they're great. They would oh, be on my no. list if they're almost passe. Of course they're. Of course they're. Well, of my now they're pa- now yeah. they're a cliche. They are. So has has the wearing of them diminished at all in no, Brooklyn? No, everyone has them. Like really, you see them everywhere you go, and they are expensive. Yeah, they're which expensive. is why I never bought them. Now, what about the strap? On the bag. I don't have one. I didn't even know. I was very <laughs> pleased that I didn't even know about that trend when I read right. about it in the Times. It made me feel a little better. Um, so I don't know. I don't even have bags that where you apparently they only work if you have like an insanely expensive bag that rem- where the straps can be removed. I don't. I even didn't even know about me that either. So that's good. We're, that we're superior good. beings. We are superior. <laughs> okay. One last thing. Now that uh, we're we're on this subject, this very important subject. When I had kids in nursery school, and I think my children went to, I think I was at the same nursery school nine consecutive years. I don't think I had a year off. Okay. I realized that I, in my own ingenuity, was was wearing exactly what every other mother wore. It was as if there had been a memo about straight jeans, um black loafers and a black backpack. Right. The the I'm fascinated. I was a semiotics major technically. <laughs> uh, I am fascinated by uniform. I'm fascinated. I went to a school where I had to wear a uniform for 9 years. I rebelled against it. I hated it. I hated it. It was oppressive. And of course, the minute I didn't have to wear a uniform, I created one of right. my own. As many of us do. Totally. But I'm interested in how the Brooklyn moms all got their look, how the nursery school moms all got their look. Is yeah. there an alpha in all of this? Or is it just one of those uh, big bang? I don't know. I mean, what this what what this makes me think of is uh, when you have teenage daughters, I remember being very aware that they all had a look, right? They all looked exactly the same. There's certain phases. And yes. The, the belly shirts and the whatever, the phases of teenage girlhood. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I guess I, do, do we all, do my friends and I all dress alike? I mean, yes and no. The other thing your comment makes me think of is this idea for menopausal, for middle age, for older women. There's an idea of like getting dressed is so hard. And it's, is it easier to just have a uniform? That comes up a lot in our group. Is You know, there's c- certain things I do feel like for me lately, I'm pretty much wearing the same thing all the time. I wear these... Now I'm embarrassed to say, but it's true. I wear these leather pants. There's a woman named Daryl Kay who's in the group, and she gave us this great discount, and a whole bunch of us got these amazing leather pants this winter. Uh-huh. And I pretty much wear those every single day. Um, and boots and a sweater. And, you know, I just don't, it's just too complicated getting dressed as you get older. Yeah. It's like, and also, we spend so much more time not going to an office. True. Yeah. Because yeah. we're working we're wherever working we are. Working wherever we are. So we don't really need those clothes. Yeah. But I, I do think, 
for yeah. I mean, I hear it a lot from women in the group that they like having like basic go-tos that just feel like a uniform. And to people, and also I, I find that people like things that feel soft. Is that a perimenopausal <laughs> symptom? I don't know. Probably not. My... I find I, <laughs> I touch clothes in stores to see what feels really good. I'm obsessed with velvet. Like the thing I'm wearing right now is this velvet like shirt dress, and I do have a lot of velvet right now. Velvet makes me happy. Yeah, well, I think it all, we have to do what we have to do. Exactly. <laughs> if it's velvet, if it's skin trip, if it's... <laughs> Fishnets. I also have fishnets at home, but I've never worn fishnets that big. This is a bold fishnet. Really? Very Actually, exciting. I thought, I thought this was actually more subtle somehow. No, I don't know. I think it looks okay. great. But, Thank you. But, you know, <laughs> it, it takes style. Anyway, Nina Collins, great to meet you finally. It's nice to meet you too. And uh, I really appreciate what you've done for us um Invisible women. Oh, thank you. And uh, we're not the, invisible. We're not that invisible. No. And the book, the books are called "What Would Virginia Woolf Do?" Published by Grand Central Publishing. Yeah. And d- notes on a uh, notes from a black woman's diary by Kathleen Collins. By Kathleen Collins, edited by Nina Collins, published by Echo. Yep. And and the uh, earlier book was called "Whatever Happened to Interracial Love." same echo echo Mm -hmm. and uh i wish you all the best and uh i want to meet your kids oh well maybe you will that'd be fun that would be fun more after this okay okay thank you so everybody thanks for listening this is lisa birnbach of five things that make life better you can subscribe on itunes stitcher probably if you get a subscription to 17 magazine and Feel free to write to me at Twitter, at Lisa Birnbach, or here on the website, lisabirnbach.com. Stay dry and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.